What's up? Happy Saturday, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Space Talk. I'm your host, Athena Brentsberger, in case you don't already know me. So hello, good day. Welcome to the show. Uh, this show is made literally just to talk all about different things in space, as it is a huge passion of mine and career path in several different ways. And one of the ways specifically is through communication. So that's why um, I started this podcast. That's why I love to just discuss these types of things with everyone that is on here. Um, so I, I know I don't usually go live on Saturdays. Um, I kind of wanted to, I don't know, sort, sort of... Um, Increase the amount of shows on here, increase the amount of episodes, uh, talk about more things that are happening in space. I don't know. So I guess the start of May just kind of really gave me an extra, extra boost of, um, enthusiasm and motivation to, to create more, more type of content. And I realized we never actually kind of spoke about sort of the fundamentals of things in space. So like what space objects actually are. Um, and so that's kind of what inspired this episode, which is, uh, the question, what are nebulae? And I decided to do that, again, just because I realize I, I use a lot of this terminology, but not all of us might be familiar with it. So if this is kind of uh, redundant for you, then, you know, feel free always to, you know, just hang out, uh, maybe chat, provide some stuff that you might already know in the in the chat, the live chat that we have, um, or just join us for the next episode, uh, whichever works. Uh, I, I'm always I'm always happy to kind of uh, explore different areas of things happening. Uh, so you might have noticed I've changed quite a few episodes around on here. That is one because of the breaking news of the new image that came through of a black hole, which was the first picture ever taken of our black hole from our galaxy, the supermassive black hole Sagittarius A at the center of the Milky Way. Um, so if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I recommend backtracking to the previous episode. But before we kind of jump into this sort of topic of the day, I always like to kind of pose a question um, that isn't related necessarily to space. Maybe sometimes it is. Um, and so today, let's see, it's usually something I'll kind of just sort of come up with. Um so let's see, what, just curious, what was your favorite subject in school? Let's do, uh, let's do primary schools, so like elementary school. Uh, what was your favorite subject in school? Um, so, so let's see, it, it might be shocking. Mine was not science at this age. Uh, mine was uh, physical activity. So I, I loved gym class. I was a huge fan of gym class. Um, probably because I've just always had a lot of energy and I love being active. Um, and I love sort of pushing myself uh, to new like athletic levels or new kind of uh, levels when it comes to just my my physical activity. And so I really liked uh, gym class because it challenged me in different ways. I remember doing my first push up uh, in, in gym class this was in seventh grade, I believe was the first time I really did a did a push up. I think I did. I don't think I ever tried one when I was younger than that. Um, and I, I remember also doing like my first um, yoga class as well. And th this this was actually in high school, but I just remember how uh, kind of just like eye opening it was for me to do yoga because I just realized like how great it was to really uh, be still. Um, and I, I really liked that a lot. I always remember our teacher too. I don't remember her name, but I remember what she looked like. And she had this very curly red hair, kind of like Miss Frizzle. And it was just such, such a fun class. So uh, for me, it was it was a gym or athletic class. We we always kind of did something new. So, okay. So feel free to, to, oh, awesome. Joshua, math, right on. And to all my friends in the future who are listening to this episode, feel free to leave comments as well uh, if you'd like. 
But this episode um, is, again, dedicated to a space object, um, which I chose to be nebulae or nebula. So a nebula is the singular form of these objects. Nebulae and nebulas with an S are both correct plural forms of this space object. Um, and it is a Latin word, as a lot of sort of just words kind of derive from, especially in the field of astronomy. Um, a, a lot of the terms used in the field of astronomy actually derive from Latin, Greek, and Arabic. There's quite a lot of those three languages that are very prominent in the field of astronomy and astrophysics. Um, so, so nebula, the direct kind of translation means mist, vapor, fog, or smoke. This is this is actually literally what I just found by, by just kind of seeing what Google would tell me, but I'm not going to be relying on Google to sort of talk about nebulae for today, uh, just because I've, I've been passionate about them for so long. Um, I, I, I'd rather sort of share my own insight and views on nebulae and what I know, and maybe we'll find some new stuff too that I don't actually know, because um, there's a lot out there that we don't know. And so that's always kind of a fun part of this podcast is is when I get to learn something, either from you guys or just while we're live and looking stuff up. So nebulae are, are these really special things in space. Uh, the reason I say special is because one of my favorite things about the universe and being an observer of it as humans are is we get to see the birth, the life, and the death cycle happening everywhere. We get to see new stars forming. We get to see stars existing throughout their lives and transforming to different kinds of levels of their life because stars um, aren't born most of the time as just like being a type of star. So they're not born into being a red giant star. They'll evolve into becoming a red giant star. Um, they'll typically form as a smaller protostar, maybe a, a really hot white star. And as they start to age, um, they'll start to cool off and they can come into the main sequence of uh, kind of the category based on a diagram called the HR diagram, where a lot of stars will then reside in the middle of their life. So the majority of their life will kind of be about this temperature, about this color. And then as they get older, uh, kind of depending on how much mass the stars accumulated over its life, it could either expand into a bigger star um, and then slowly kind of disperse out into space, losing its matter and forming a, a type of nebula. Or it could explode and then its core will implode and crush down into a white dwarf star. And that's it. So there's all these different kinds of stars. And we're not really going to go too much into it, I think, in this episode. Maybe, maybe we will. Um, but what I think is so interesting is... Uh, there are certain regions of space where it's more favorable, the conditions for certain stars to form, for stars to form. And nebulae provide just this. A lot of different nebulae are considered to be stellar nurseries. And um, that is because they are a giant cloud in space of dust, interstellar dust and gas. So what that means is it's a little different than the dust in you know, your house maybe, or your, you know, the dust bunnies in, in the quarter. But in a concept wise, it's quite similar, but it's usually made of more abundant gas. So abundant elements, such as like some of the lighter elements on the periodic table, like hydrogen and helium. And these are lighter elements and they are what are necessary 
for new stars to form. So although it's not necessarily like the dust bunny in your room, because it's made up of probably heavier elements, it's made up of, uh, you know, skin particles that come from us and we're carbon based and uh, maybe other types of things too, uh, a nebula dust cloud or molecular cloud is much larger. It's made of much more abundant elements and it is pretty cold, pretty cold. A lot of things in space are, are pretty cold. The average temperature of space is actually pretty, really, really cold. Um, I don't know it off the top of my head, so I'm going to look up average temp of space just because I mentioned it. It's estimated to be about 2.7 Kelvin. This is about, uh, oh, 455 degrees Fahrenheit. That's cool. Okay, so that, that to us, that's Minus, excuse me. I was like, that's, that's really hot. Uh, Nick, I was like, oh, I think I guess it's something wrong here. Minus 455 degrees Fahrenheit. So it is really cold out there. Um, but when you're in something like a dust cloud, you have all these different elements that are sort of mixing together. And sometimes in some areas, it can be a little bit more heavy or dense. Uh, there can be more mass accumulated in one area or another. And because these are all made of different types of common elements found in space, this is what stars need in order to be born. R is things like hydrogen atoms, helium. And what can happen sometimes is if you have an accumulation that's dense enough, eventually it could start to coalesce more. And it then starts to, as based on Einstein's theory of general relativity, as it starts to gain more mass, it then has a gravitational effect on things around it. And as it has more mass and more mass, eventually the gravity can start to kind of outweigh the outward force of all of this that's happening. And it could start to then collapse under the gravitational influence and then form a star. And this will then create a lot of heat. And uh, as a star will form and with all that heat, with all of this matter, it can start to ignite nuclear fusion in its core. And this is when it takes hydrogen atoms, squishes them together under a lot of pressure and starts to form things like helium. Uh, it can strip electrons off of that helium atom and create deuterium, which is uh, uh, a, a form of helium when it lost its electrons. So it's a positive helium um, uh, atom. And so when this starts to happen, stars can start to form. And so this is why it's called a stellar nursery, because nebulae have all the right things and all the right matter and materials and conditions for stars to form. And on top of that, you have um, all this other matter and dust and gas that's around it. And so that stuff can only feed the star even more, or it can start to form into a disk around it, which we've talked about quite a bit on the show, which is kind of how a you know a planetary system can form. Is when you have a newborn star forming, it's spinning really fast, and it has a gravitational effect on things around it. So it's wanting to pull stuff in towards it, and it starts to attract other matter to accumulate around it, and then that matter is spinning with the rotation of the star, forming a disk. And so. Um, I'm going to choose one nebula in specific that is a that I'm a huge fan of, which is known as the Orion Nebula. And the Orion Nebula, uh, we could see in the night sky without a telescope or binoculars. If you can find the Orion constellation, which is uh, 
more visible during the winter time in the evening. So now it might be later uh, or, or later in the night or earlier in the morning. So I'm going to go ahead and just pull up a a sky chart real quick. Um, so let's see. I'm pretty sure it will be more visible around early in the morning. I put in 3 a.m. That might have been too early. Let's see here where Orion is. So we've got, we are moving into obviously summertime. And so our summer constellations are beginning to rise. And our winter constellations, let's see, let's see. I don't quite see, Orion might be out of view by now, actually. It might be um, obstructed with the with the, the sunlight, so we might not be able to see it anymore. Let's see. Yeah, I'm not quite seeing it here. Yeah, here we go. So yeah, Orion, the only way you could possibly see it now, uh, if you're, and I'm, I'm looking at my location, so Austin, Texas, um, it'll be facing due west. So you're going to want to face your, your western horizon. And it sits really low on the horizon. It doesn't really rise up pretty high because as soon as the sun starts to set, Orion is already starting to set below the horizon. So you can maybe catch Beetlejuice, um, but it should be, it'll probably be too low in the sky for you to be able to see the Orion uh, Nebula. So you'll have to wait again till winter time because once I put in 10 p.m., it's way below the horizon. So that being said, uh, you can't see Orion during this time of the year. Uh, but again, if you just wait for, for winter time, you can see that, that constellation. But uh, that being said, uh, this is one of my favorite nebulae. And it probably is also because it's sort of tied to my very first year of doing research as an undergraduate at the Hayden Planetarium in New York. And I had to sort of choose what my path would be for research. And that can change several times over, you know, a, a career uh, pursuing astronomy. Um, but I thought it was really fascinating to study something called a proplid or protoplanetary disk. And uh, I won't go too much into it because this episode is about nebulae rather than um, kind of this thing. But just to mention it briefly, the Orion Nebula is a very famous nebula for being a stellar nursery because a lot of stars can form within this nebula. As I mentioned, all the conditions are right. It has the elements that are needed for a new star birth. Um, and when new stars can form and that accretion disk starts to form around it, which is all of that dust and gas kind of circling around that star, this, if it lives long enough, can eventually form into a solar system. Now, a planetary system is technically, I guess, the correct term because we call our sun solar, so, it's, so there's really sort of just like one named the solar system. But uh, for purpose of sort of conveying this this process, other solar systems can form. And so this is how we probably formed, was something just like this. Our sun was very young, and it formed within a nebula with other types of stars forming near it. And over time, our accretion disk started to get more lumpy in some areas and those areas that were more lumpy planets began to form like earth mars mercury venus jupiter saturn uranus neptune then you have the dwarf planets pluto um, and then you go into the oort cloud and so with all that being said um this is a really really cool thing that i love about nebulae but there are different kinds of nebulae uh there are absorption nebulae planetary nebulae uh, and then there's like supernova remnants, a very famous one I'm going to share with you guys. 
is the Crab Nebula. So I'm going to go ahead and pull up a, this is a really cool sort of 3D visualization of the Crab Nebula. Let's go ahead and just put this on mute real quick so it's not playing really loud. Yeah, 1,300 light years away. Yeah. Uh, So that link I just sent, um, check it out. It's a really cool thing uh, that was made by the Chandra X-ray Observatory, which is a very famous telescope in space uh, that is imaging the sky in X-ray emissions. So if you're looking at the EM spectrum or or electromagnetic spectrum, uh, looking at things in X-ray will be different than looking at things in visible or ultraviolet or um, radio or even um, infrared. And so uh, this rendition looks really cool. This is a computer computerized model. And it shows sort of the different layers of the nebula itself, the Crab Nebula, which is a remnant of a star that exploded as a supernova. And these are probably some of my other favorite kinds of nebulae because they just look so fascinating and brilliant. Um, And because this might be something we may be able to see in our night sky if Betelgeuse goes supernova, hopefully sometime in the next few days to few months to few years to few hundred thousand years. It may take a while uh, for the light to get to us. It might have happened already. Um, But we're not we're not exactly not exactly sure because because these types of stars have kind of a an average time of when they'll die. You know, like humans, we don't really know like the exact age that we'll be at when we may, you know, pass away. Uh, But we have an average of of a human lifetime. So very similarly, we have an average of a star lifetime. So that being said, so um, this is something really cool, something very special that exists in space. Uh, There are plenty of nebulae that are found in between stars and in between um, with all within our galaxy as well. And uh, they're they're very stunning. Um, as an example, I'm going to head to Astronomy Picture of the Day, which is one of my favorite sites to share on here. I haven't actually haven't looked at this in a while on a live episode here on Space Talk in a while. But just for the sake of kind of exploring this, I'm going to first sort of just pull up whatever today's picture is. Um, and if you guys want to check that out, I highly recommend bookmarking this website. It's been around for, for decades and uh, was created by NASA. And anyone who does astrophotography or takes really cool pictures of, of the sky, you can submit these pictures and they can get chosen and there'd be a whole explanation of what's seen in this picture and maybe it can end up in their archive. So um, if you guys are astrophotographers, uh, I hope to see one of your pictures on here sometime. But this is a really cool picture. Uh, it's called Ice Halos by Moonlight. So I'm guessing this is somewhere where it's really, really cold. Um, and it's, it looks like it's a halo of the moon and some other things that I, to be honest, have no idea what this is, except for some of the stars I recognize the names of, like Regulus and Arcturus. But you have Periarch, Upper Tangent Arc, Light Pillar. So I'm guessing these are all the different categories of this light being refracted and uh, being split into the circumzenithal arc, which is what you could see as kind of a rainbow. So the light 
that is coming from the sun reflecting off the moon and then being split by possibly ice particles in our atmosphere. So let's see what the explanation says here. It does say, yeah, the moonlight is refracted and reflected by hexagonal ice crystals in the clouds, which created a complex of halos and arcs more commonly seen by sunlight in daytime skies. While colors of the arcs and moon dogs or Paraseleni were just visible to the unaided eye, a blend of exposures ranging from 30 seconds to 1 20th second was used to render this moonlit wide angle skyscraper. So this looks, this is really cool. Uh, this is literally why I love astronomy picture of the day. It never ceased to amaze me of these pictures that people capture of our beautiful existence in the cosmos. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to type in nebula. So if you scroll all the way down to archive, uh, you can then open up nebula uh, or you could open up a search engine and then you could type in whatever you want. Um, so I just typed in a broad category of nebula because I sort of want to see what else comes up. This is kind of what I was aiming for. So I pulled up one from January 31st, 2022, titled Carina Nebula North. And the reason for this is because I wanted to get a picture, uh, whether you're looking with me or not, I'll just sort of explain it, but a picture that has multiple nebulae within it, just to give us the perspective of how much space can be filled with multiple gas clouds like this, these molecular clouds. So right here we have Loden 153 Nebula, Gabriella Minstrel Nebula, then you have uh, these WR23 filaments, and then you have a star cluster. And this is a really, really cool picture. It looks like it probably was taken all within a similar area of the sky that the images might have been overlaid on top of each other. Um, but right here it even shows that the, Ga the Gabriella Mistral Nebula, if you're looking at it, it has a bright blue kind of center. There's some gas that's silhouetted, so it's it's uh, has it's being backlit, so it has light on the backside, and then it has this kind of ring-like shape around it, where it's sort of like white light and then yellow light and then red, and this is considered to be an emission nebula. And if we click on emission nebula. It shows that it is a, um, a nebula that forms um, from ionized high-energy ultraviolet photons. Really, really long name. But typically, there's one kind of star that is affecting all the gas around it, causing it to glow in a certain kind of way. That's sort of the straightforward way. <laughs> I, I would probably explain it. Non-technical way of explaining it. It's, um, it's, a, it's a star that is e affecting the gas around it. Um, so the way it's affecting it, and when it says ionize, ionization, it's stripping the electrons from these atoms around it, causing the atoms to now be positively charged, whereas atoms will have you know, positive protons and negative electrons. But if you strip the electrons, it then becomes a positive atom of whatever that element is. And as a result, it causes it to glow in these ultraviolet wavelengths. So if you look at uh, the Ring Nebula, for instance, uh, it shows that this is um, a planetary nebula, uh, but it also says, I guess, that it's an example of a, a, an emission nebula. So so this is one way of kind of explaining an emission nebula. I'm going to also look up planetary nebula. Uh, and it's pretty funny about planetary nebula. I remember learning this a while ago when I was doing a space history episode. And 
it has nothing to do with there being planets forming in it. It actually is because the way it looked to early observers of these types of objects, they thought these were planets. And so for a very long time, they were called planets until, you know, better optics came out, better, you know, observations, better technology. And eventually astronomers realized, oh, these are not planets. These are gas clouds, like the other gas clouds we've been naming. Um, and so it's a nebula. And uh, and these are, are um, again, really, really funny kind of emission nebulas that are shaped more round-like or just sort of, yeah, more spherical in, in shape. And so they look like planets uh, to very early, early observers. So if you want to look up some planetary nebulae, there's some like pretty cool pictures of some, but the Ring Nebula is one of the most famous, which is also considered an emission nebula. And then the last thing I want to look up is um, uh, absorption nebula. And these are pretty cool. Uh, these are some pretty famous ones uh, that that we might have seen, such as like the um, the Great Pillars uh, or the Horsehead Nebula. This is when you start to have uh, a darker shape to the nebula. And that's typically because uh, the gas is being silhouetted, like as if you're standing in front of a light. And then someone who's looking at you, you know, maybe not super close to you, but if it's like totally pitch black and then someone has a light behind you, you just see your, your body as a shadow. So very similarly, this is what's happening in space. And so um, this is a dark nebula. This is something that has, uh, again, it's, it's, it's very similar composition. It's a molecular cloud. It has tons of elements that are necessary for, um, for new star life to form. Uh, but they'll typically be darker in shape. So a famous one is to check out the Horsehead Nebula. I'm going to look that up just to describe it to you guys in front of me. But um, it has kind of this like little hook. And that is what is described as looking like a horse head. Uh, yeah, this is something you could also see in the sky. Um if you were to, you know, just do a little, little bit of observation, uh, maybe I would recommend using a, a good telescope to be able to see this clearly. Uh, it's near the Orion, tel the Orion Nebula. Uh, but as I mentioned with Orion, you could kind of see it with the unaided eye, but it is going to be blurry. It, you won't see it in detail. So definitely get a, a good telescope, binoculars, or go to an astronomy club or, an ast or a, sky a star party, and you should be able to then uh, see these. Um, oh my gosh. I just pulled up a picture. Of <laughs> this is so funny. Oh, I'm going to share this link with you guys. Um, actually, I'll make sure that this link is not spam or anything. Okay. Now this is a, a website that's selling these pictures. Oh, this is hilarious. This is the Horsehead Nebula and someone put a literal picture of a horse on this picture. That is really funny. So if you guys want to check that out, I don't, I don't yeah, I don't. I don't think I'd purchase this, but it was pretty hilarious. Um, uh, what, what, what will the internet think of next? That's um, really funny. Uh, and lastly, uh, we're going to check out the reflection nebulae. So there's a famous reflection nebula known as the uh, Witch Witch's Nebula, I believe. Uh, what was the name of that one again? I'm literally looking at it. Um, it was the Witch's Nebula or Witch's Broom. Uh, IC2118. Um, this is also in the constellation of Orion, and it's a reflection nebula. 
So when you look at it, um, it's pretty crazy looking. Uh, gosh, I guess it is just witch head, witch head nebula. Okay. That's what it is. The witch head nebula. So if you guys want to check this out, here's a link to a NASA website to check out a really cool image of it. Um, I'd actually never seen this version before. I've only seen the ones that are a little more purple in color. And it has a lot of the gas is reflecting a starlight coming from in front of it now instead of behind it. And then from our perspective, that's what we're seeing. So imagine that we're in an audience watching a performance like Shakespeare on a stage and all the light coming from us like the the lighting set and the crew, if anyone has ever done any type of theater production before, you have lights above the audience, you have lights behind the audience, you have lights on the stage, so you're bouncing the light off of the actors on stage, and it's reflecting back to the audience, but the audience are all dark. And so if we if, if there was a person here in the Witch Head Nebula, and they were looking towards Earth, they'd probably see just total darkness because they have a bright light shining in their face, which is probably coming from a very bright star. So reflection nebulas, pretty straightforward. Absorption nebulas, pretty straightforward. Uh, planetary nebula, not so much. They should just be called circular nebulae. Uh, emission nebula as well. Um, so these are all the different kinds of kinds of nebulae. Um, so I hope you guys learned a little bit of something in this episode. Uh, I highly recommend check out some of these pictures. This witch head one is really pretty. Um, the one I remember looking at is this one. I had it as my wallpaper for a very long time. All it's giving me is sort of this Wikipedia page. Um, but I'm going to share it anyway because it's really cool looking. It's super duper purple. And um, yeah, it looks it looks really cool. But we've definitely have come a long way, I would say, of taking better pictures. And in case you're new to the show uh, and you're not sure why the Witch Head Nebula is also called IC2118, this kind of obscure, weird name, alphanumerical name, I did an episode once on how space objects are named, and we spoke about uh, this exact kind of lettering. Uh, we, we talked about it when we came to objects like comets and galaxies. And it is a type of catalog name. So IC would be in uh, a specific catalog. I actually don't even remember now. Uh, NGC is New General Catalog. M is the Messier Catalog. IC is another kind of new astronomical catalog. I'm typing it in right now just to get the name for you guys. Um, so basically, if you're just looking at any of these catalogs, Oh, okay, IC is also part of NGC. So IC is also in the same. Think of it as like a Macy's catalog or JCPenney catalog. Um, and you could see the same product from Nike sold in both catalogs. Um, but it kind of just, you're looking at each one differently. You can buy them from two different locations. Or So with this, with astronomical catalogs, uh, it's based a lot of times on what area of the sky it's covering. So what, what these objects are next to and the way that they're named or numbered is based on their neighborhood in the sky from our perspective on Earth. So this way, if you're doing stargazing or for, again, just astronomers in general or citizen astronomers, uh, this is a really good way for them to know where to look and um, where to look up information on these objects, such as the right ascension and declination, which are kind of like the longitude and latitude of space objects. 
So uh, yeah, so that's everything. Um, I'm glad you guys came out here and got to to join me for this this kind of random space episode on on Saturday. Um, I hope you learned a little bit of something, and I hope you guys get to get outside and try to do some stargazing this week. We've got clouds out here. I'm literally looking out the window right now, so I might not be able to catch the lunar eclipse tomorrow. But heads up, by the way, there's a lunar eclipse tomorrow night. It reaches its totality at about uh 11 30 p.m eastern daylight time and uh if you want to get outside look look up at it um try to find it and if anything download different stargazing apps to help you find it you could download sky guide s-k-y-g-u-i-d-e sky guide uh it's one of my favorites or sky safari plus all right. Well, that's everything. Um, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Um, and I look forward to us all chatting again on Monday. I did just send out the weekly transmission, which is my email newsletter. We will be going over that on Monday as far as what objects you could see in the night sky this week and what happened in space history this week as well. So I hope you received that. If you didn't and you'd like to sign up, either just DM me your email address or you could go to astroathens.com and subscribe on there. Um, I don't have it connected to my MailChimp anymore, so I'm going to have to like manually go and get your emails and add it in. So I'm sorry if you haven't gotten a, uh, you know, a transmission yet. That is probably why. But um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you all so much. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Uh, make sure you get outside and look up at the sky. And as always... Add Astra.